One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another edition of the Work-Life Balance. So excited to have you guys on. And, you know, if you guys know anything about me, you know that, uh, that, that my world is chaos, that, that, you know, I deal with a significant amount of change. Uh, I've, I've developed a new condition uh, today called Zoom ears because uh, I like to have my headphones on and, and my microphone uh, to, to, you know, cut out the distractions and the double talk and all that stuff. And, and uh, literally been on Zoom calls all day and I uh, was expecting someone to, to join us today. And, and as life has it, things happen. Uh, but life is, is as such as project managers, we're going to roll on and I'm actually going to, to pivot. So if you're expecting or if you happen to see an e-card, um, coming actually, oh, we're we're right here. We're gonna grab him, I think, and just make sure he's he's good. Uh, let him come on, Adam. Are you there? Rick, how are you? All right, I was just about to pivot. We're live. You're on. So uh, there's trial by fire, but but so glad to have you uh, aboard here. I'm excited to be here. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So let me do, uh, 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 I'm, I'm switching gears yet again, but let me do a, a, a proper introduction. So the gentleman I have today is the chief executive officer of the, and do you say Veloz, V-E-L-O-Z? It's the Veloz Group. The Veloz Group. And he is co-founded and oversees ventures across a wide variety of industries, including Beverly Hills Chairs, which is a leading office uh, furniture e-tailer, custom tobacco, which is a one-of-a-kind cigar customization e-commerce platform, and Vela Solutions a technology consulting and software development practice. He uh, remains active in each one of these companies, provides strategic guidance and support, and he also provides business thought leadership as a speaker to businesses, universities, nonprofit organizations, as the host of the Leadership and Personal Pro uh, Professional Development podcast, 30-Minute Mentors. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Let's welcome to the show Adam Mendler. How are you doing, Adam? I'm great, Rick. How are you? Doing fantastic. So talk to me a little bit about the inspiration for, you know, I, I love the title, 30-Minute Mentors. Uh, talk to me, what, what inspired you to do that? So, Rick, I, I can't speak for you, but I've certainly been the beneficiary of mentorship in every phase of my life. From the time I was growing up all the way through today, I've had mentors who have been instrumental in my personal and professional development. And Without mentors, who knows where I would be in my life? I'm also a big believer in a concept that I call mini mentors. In contrast to a traditional mentor who plays a more impactful and longer term role in your life, mini mentors are people who you might see once, you might communicate with once, maybe you communicate with them once a year or once every now and then. But that communication can be unbelievably impactful. And what I wanted to do with 30-Minute Mentors was bring this concept of mini-mentors to as broad an audience as possible to essentially bring the best network of mentors, the most successful people in the country, founders and CEOs of household name companies, celebrities and athletes, generals and admirals. Every week, I'm going one-on-one -on -one for 30 minutes with someone who has made it to the top in whatever they have done, and they've done something 
highly significant. And more importantly, their best advice for listeners on how they can get to the top as well. So that's really what inspired me to launch the show. I'm about 20 episodes in and it's just been an awesome experience. It's a, it's, it's a crazy experience though, right? Putting that out there on, on paper, getting that stuff, uh, or not paper, but, but laying down the audio itself. And a lot of people though, you know, I, I think it's one of the things I hear often is, oh, I want to start a podcast. And to me, I think I want to start a podcast is the new, I want to write a book. You follow me on that, right? Like everybody, oh, I want to write a book. Yeah. Right. And, and now everybody just wants to jump right into the podcast. But um, how do you keep that content fresh and, and how are you attracting these, these guests, these wonderful mentors to your show? Yeah, Rick, to your point, from what I last saw, we're either at the million podcast mark or close to it. So I think it's important that if you do have a podcast, it's, in my view, no different than if you have a business. You need to be unique. You need to be fresh and you need to have good content. If you have a business, you need to have a good product or a good service. So in my case, what I've tried to do from the get-go in, in anything that I've done, whether it's one of my companies or whether it's this podcast, 30 Minute Mentors, I've really believed in the importance of trying to build something that people want to be a part of. With my company, The Velos Group, we started the company out of thin air. It was my brother and I and an idea, and we started out of my apartment in 2012. And when we started it, no one ever heard of it, but we had this vision for it and we wanted to create something that people wanted to be a part of. Within a couple of weeks, we were recruiting the best students in the country, kids from literally top five colleges to come and work for us for free. And uh, the, the reason why was because we were able to create something that people wanted to spend their time, spend their summers being a part of. With 30 Minute Mentors, what I've been trying to do is create a platform, create a show, create a movement, really, that the most successful people in the country will want to be a part of. And, and why is that? Because what am I doing? What are these shows all about? They're really all about providing listeners with the best advice possible to excel in their lives. And if you're someone who's made it to the top, what do you really care about at this phase in your life? You largely care about giving back. You largely care about helping share the lessons learned that you can share that can help the people around you become better in their lives. And the people who have come on my show really have that mantra. They believe very deeply in paying it forward. They believe very deeply in doing whatever they can to help the people around them. And it's been a, a great way for me to help amplify this message and help people tuning in become their best selves by getting great advice from people who've made it to the top. And it's interesting that you talked about, you know, we're, we're getting to the million podcast mark. What, so if you dive into those statistics, right, it, there's, there's something that's very prevalent in this industry called pod fade. And so that's, you know, many podcasters don't make it past their seventh episode without experiencing some sort of decrease in motivation. Either they thought, you know, the audience was going to explode or that uh, they, they're running out of topics and they really don't have as much to say as they thought they did. Um, and, and so statistics aren't really uh, easy to come by 
uh, because a lot of podcasts just fade away. They, they just stop producing new content. And, and by best figures we get, gather is about 75% of those million podcasts out there um, are really no longer in production. Um, so really, the, you know, there's, there's only you know, a couple hundred thousand that are actually active podcasts that are producing new content and doing so consistently. So my question to you is, you say you're 20 episodes in, did you, did you feel that pod fade at any point? And, and what were some of your driving factors to, to keep the pedal down? On the contrary, Rick, I've been fired up from day one, I'm as fired up today as I was when I was starting this endeavor. For me, the biggest challenge was getting myself to a place where I said, I'm just going to do this. I had this idea stewing in my mind for a long time, and it was something that I really wanted to do. But as an entrepreneur, as someone who does a lot of writing and speaking, and anyone who's taken a look at my bio knows that I have a lot of things on my plate. It was a bit of a challenge for me to say, okay, I'm just going to go and do it. And what I did was I set a deadline for myself and I essentially said by January of 2020, this show is going to be launched. No matter what, by January of 2020, there are going to be episodes up. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to figure out how it's going to happen. And there were plenty of obstacles along the way, but if you're, if you're dedicated to making it happen, you're going to make it happen. And pretty much from the point the show launched until today, I've just been fired up and I have not experienced the pot fade. On the contrary, Rick, I am walking into every episode fired up and excited to engage with whoever it is that I'm interviewing. And why wouldn't I be? I have the opportunity to learn from unbelievably successful people and to give my listeners the opportunity to learn from the most successful people out there. So I view it as a privilege and it's something that I'm really excited to do. Well, and I love that you said that because I really think that becomes the key. We're doing this for an audience. We're not doing it for ourselves. Some of the counsel I've always you know, said when, when somebody says, I want to write a book is say, well, who are you doing it for? Right. Because, well, I just think I have a story to tell. It's great. We all have stories to tell. Right. But if you're writing it from the perspective of I have a great story, it's really not readable for the audience. What is it for them that you're going to do? And the same goes for podcasts. Um, the other thing I hear all the time, too, is, is uh, well, somebody's already said it or somebody's already done a show like that or there's something similar out there. But that doesn't mean, you know, your audience is still waiting. Your audience still wants to hear from you. Just because a concept or a topic or an idea has been covered before doesn't mean you can't cover it. I mean, there's thousands of motivational speakers, and I'm, I'm close and follow, you know, one of the greatest communicators of all time in John Maxwell. Uh, and he's got hundreds of books, spoken to millions of people, yet I still, you know, 75% of the people I meet on a daily basis don't know who he is. And so I think it's really important for us to focus on not only delivering something for the audience, but not being, you know, say things in our own authentic way. So what I want to do with this, Adam, we're, we're right up against the break, but I'd love to hear some of your favorite stories and uh, moments so far within the podcast. And just in general, you know, you're, you're obviously all over national media. You've done a ton of writing, a ton of speaking. So what are some of those favorite stories that, uh, that you go to or that you can tell from, from your own endeavors? And we're going to get to that right after this break and listening to Rick Morris on the Work-Life Balance. 
Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consist consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end -end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you aware that 80% of project management executives do not know how their projects align with their company's business strategy? Are you aware that businesses identified capturing time and costs against projects as their biggest project management challenge? Are you aware that 44% of project managers use no software, even though PricewaterhouseCoopers found that the use of commercially available project management software increases performance and satisfaction? Now, imagine that you could have the ease of entry like a spreadsheet and a software tool set up and running within two to four weeks. Imagine within two weeks being able to see clearly where all of your resource conflicts are. Well, you don't have to imagine because PDWare has already created it. PDWare can give you real-time access to KPIs, easily updated views of what your teams are working on, and immediate feedback to some of project management's toughest questions, like, when can we start this project? What happens if we delay this project? Can we do this in time? How does this new project impact our current portfolio? Find us at pdware.com and imagine not manually compiling endless reports again. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back on this Friday afternoon with the Work-Life Balance. Thanks for writing along with us, and thanks for always, uh, always understanding how we do the show when we do the show and what we're doing the show about. You guys have been phenomenal in your feedback uh, to us. And please keep that coming. Um, keep reaching out to us. We'd love to hear from you. So we're on with Adam Mendler. And Adam, just before uh, we went into break, I was going to ask that question of, you know, through your interviews and through all of your topics, what are some of your favorite stories, people that you've interviewed or things that they've said to you? Rick, that's a great question. And um, I know that we have an hour blocked out today. I feel like we could probably spend 10 hours going through it because every guest has so many incredible stories and it's hard to really just pick one or two. But if you ask me to, I will. And um, this week I did an interview with Victor Rojas, who is the play-by-play -play announcer for the Angels. I'm a huge Angels fan. I'm not sure if we have a lot of sports fans in your audience or baseball fans, but one of the things that Victor told me that was really interesting is when Victor broke into baseball, he played for Joe Madden, who is one of the top managers in baseball today. But Joe Madden was a coach for the Angels in the Angels minor league system when Victor first broke into baseball. And um, Victor was a kid right out of school. And 
Joe, Matt, I, I asked Victor, what are what were some of the experiences you learned playing minor league baseball, playing for Joe Madden? And something that, that was interesting that he said to me was, Joe Madden had all of this wisdom and he had all these unbelievable lessons. And it, it, they didn't really get through to me. I didn't really fully grasp what he was teaching me at that age. I didn't really last that long in the minor leagues. And now that I'm in my 50s, I kind of get what he was saying. Those lessons resonate a lot more with me now than they did then. And he shared some of those lessons and he was talking about the power of communication and how Joe Madden was able to really connect with everyone in the room, how he treated the star players the same way that he treated the bench players. And there was there were a lot of lessons there for me to unpack as someone who was on the other side of the conversation. One of them being that I can tell you in my life, I've had experiences that I wish in my first job out of college, um, I had more wisdom going into that experience. I think we all wish that there are moments in our lives that we would have had more wisdom, but we can't live life that way. All we can do is look back on the experiences that we've had and learn from them. And um, the, the great thing about the show is that we have great leaders who are sharing experiences that they have that listeners can learn from. Uh, another one I did recently was with uh, retired general, General Reynold Hoover, who was talking about his experience in Fort Hood. He was leading um, a battalion that was set to deploy to Afghanistan. And he was in Fort Hood the day that the Fort Hood shooter um, went off. And just hearing him talk about that was incredibly moving. I had Gary Michelson on my show. Gary Michelson is a self-made billionaire. Not too many self-made billionaires out there. There are uh, people out there who have inherited a lot of money and say that they're billionaires, but Gary grew up without any money, put himself through school by working two jobs. And he shared the story of when he was in medical school and was pretty close to graduating, was faced with having to do uh, a series of medical procedures that he deemed unethical. And the medical school administration essentially told him, well, we don't care, you've got to do them. This is what everyone does. And he refused to do it. And they said, well, we're going to kick you out. And it was a, a game of chicken between the medical school that he went to. And this was a guy with no money. And, and, uh, and they had all the leverage. He had no leverage, but he stood by his guns. And ultimately, the medical school backed down and he didn't have to do the procedures. And they, years later, changed the procedures. And that was a pivotal moment in his life and in his career and helped shape who he became. So with every guest, you hear lots of interesting stories. You hear lots of not only interesting anecdotes that as a listener, you take a step back and say, wow, that's a great story. But each of these stories brings out a much broader point. In the case of Gary's story, it, the point was just how important it is to have an, a strong ethical foundation in how you shape the way that you act in your leadership. In the case of Victor, it was really 
the importance of understanding uh, how, how to receive advice from people who have been there, no matter what age you, you are, no matter where you are in your journey. Um, and we can kind of go on and on about these. There, with every show, there's just so much to unpack. Has there been some prevailing themes, though, that, you know, one of the things that, that I've noticed some themes as I as I interview a lot of these people that have overcome you know adversity and they've had tons of failure. Are, are you noticing those types of themes in, in meeting with these great leaders? Definitely. Themes absolutely emerge. If you listen to a few episodes, you'll you'll hear some consistent themes. One theme that. I always like to share with audiences when I'm asked this question is something that I've come to learn from interviewing hundreds of America's top leaders first through my interview series in Thrive Global and now by doing this podcast is just how applicable the core principles of leadership are. So one thing that you can really take away is no matter what organization you're leading, Great leaders follow the same core fundamental principles. It is about you. It is not about me. It's about taking one plus one and turning it into three. It is about caring for the people around you. It is about listening rather than talking. There are, we can go on and on about what it takes to be a great leader. But what it takes to be a great leader in the military and what it takes to be a great leader of a baseball team and what it takes to be a great leader of a startup company and what it takes to be a great leader of a Fortune 500 business aren't all that different. At the end of the day, you need to have those same set of values, those same set of skills, those same set of principles. That's one big takeaway. Uh, another thing that's interesting, Rick, that uh, I that I've uh, come to learn that uh, I also really enjoy sharing is having interviewed so many of these unbelievably successful people, I'm continually blown away by how important great leaders believe in the value of learning, continually learning, no matter where you are on your leadership journey. And I have had guests come on my show who have impressed this point upon me in two ways. Number one is they'll talk about how important continual learning is to leadership. I just had General Martin Dempsey, the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He was the highest ranking military officer in America uh, on my show a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things that he said, uh, you know, was just how important it is for leaders not to be set in their ways, uh, not to get to a point where they don't feel like they need to learn anymore. Um, but in addition to that, what I found that's incredible is when I have guests who tell me, you know, I, I had no idea how much I had in common with some of these other guests on your show, but listening to your content and hearing from the CEO of Gold's Gym or hearing from Suzanne Summers, or hearing from the founder of Kayak, I'm taking notes and I'm learning new things. And these are people who are leaders in 
their industries and leaders in incredible ways, but they're continuing to learn. Yeah. Leaders are readers is, is one of the, the things that we quote often. So in, in prevailing these themes though, um, have there ever been, what about themes of, of um, the success? Meaning, you know, how many of them, and I, I kind of know the answer to this, but I think it's important for a lot of the entrepreneurs that are the audience now, how many of them were successful with their first idea? Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, not many. I, I think that, you know, something to clarify is my show isn't specific to entrepreneurs. So I, I would say that a subset of the people who I interview are entrepreneurs. I interview a lot of CEOs. I interview some celebrities. I interview some athletes. Of the entrepreneurs that I've interviewed, and I've, I've interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs outside of my podcast, of the entrepreneurs who I've interviewed, very, very few have the home run off of their first plate appearance, let alone their first swing. It takes failure after failure to find that success. And if you open up the question beyond entrepreneurs and beyond ideas, I'm a huge believer in failure as a gateway to success. You have to fail in order to succeed. You're, you're never going to make it without learning the hard lessons. Unless you have extraordinary luck, but not too many of us have that. But that's the, that's the same story though, for those CEOs, for those athletes, for those Absolutely. artists, right? Absolutely. It, it, it's, it's a lifetime of failure for the rare success. One of the misused terms that I hear often is an overnight success. Right. And I know, I know many people that have worked for 20 years to get that overnight success, right? It's, yeah. it's been trial and error and push and pull in, in all of the different things. Um, what's one of, um, we've got about three minutes to break here. So I'll give you an easy one. What's one of your, your most favorite articles you ever wrote? That's a good one. That's a good question. That's actually a harder question than, than uh, you would think because I've, I've written quite a few and have enjoyed so many of them, but I will give you one, which is the first article that I wrote that got published, which was an article that I wrote that uh, was renamed. Let's put it that way. So I, the article that I submit got watered down a little bit. So the article that I submit was called Why I Fired a Harvard Graduate After Two Weeks. And it got changed and after editorial kind of did their we'll call it magic to it. It was turned into what I learned about my company culture from firing an employee. But the story was really about why I fired a Harvard graduate after two weeks. And I enjoyed that article because I thought it was a really important message for readers and a really important message for leaders, entrepreneurs, and for employees, for anyone who's who's in any part of the process. And what the article was all about was we had uh, someone who worked for us who was great on paper. She went to the best school in the country. She had a great resume. But when she showed up, everything went wrong. And I won't bore your, your uh, listeners, I was going to say the readers, but 
your listeners can read the article if they want to know all, all of the nightmares that took place. But needless to say, it didn't work out. And what was really important were, were the lessons that, that I learned from that experience. The importance of not looking so much at the traditional markers of one's pedigree. When you're hiring an employee, don't look at, did they go to Harvard? Did they go to Yale? Did they go to Princeton? Does it really matter if they have a 4.0? Does that stuff really count in life? What does matter? Your work ethic matters. Your attitude matters. How do you approach problem solving? Are you comfortable working outside of your comfort zone? Are you a team player? Are you the kind of person who has a can-do attitude? These are the kinds of things that, at the end of the day, will determine whether you're going to be a winner in my culture and in virtually any other culture. So that, that was a great article, and I would encourage anyone who's interested in the topic to take a read, and if not, to at least embody and, and really incorporate those core principles. And, and as a as an alumni of University of Tennessee, one could argue that Harvard is the best school. In the country. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break right here. We'll be right back with Adam Mendler. You're listening to Rick Morris on the Work-Life Balance. At the Work-Life Balance, we like to ask simple questions to our executives and portfolio managers. Are you picking your projects based on what the organization can spend, or is it based on what your resources can realistically achieve? This question, if not answered properly, can cause great strain on your staff, limiting the return on investment. When creating project selection criteria, does your organization attempt to understand the amount of resources needed to complete the work? Is this done in spreadsheets or at a high level? What if we told you there was a simple and easy solution that was built with resource planning in mind? We call it Resource First from PDWare. Resource First was built with resource planning as its foundation. We have years of experience that proves before a company fine-tunes its project and portfolio management processes. Without a process for resource planning, the best processes and algorithms can fall flat. Resources should be first when deciding the strategy of taking an organization forward. Find out more at pdware.com. Put your people first with Resource First from PDWare. Join us at pdware.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. 
Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the work-life balance. And we're back to the work-life balance on this Friday afternoon, talking with uh, Adam Mendler. And Adam, uh, as we discuss podcasts, uh, I, I'm going to uh, pull a Maxwell on you. One, one of my favorite things I learned from John is the question, you know, who do you know that I should know? And so having said that with your podcast, who's somebody that you, you're really hoping to be able to book on this podcast and why? I'll tell you, I actually sent out an email to Joe Biden's team last weekend. I don't know if they're going to respond, but he would be someone I would love to have on the podcast. I would love to have President Obama on the podcast. Uh, the reason why I sent out an email to Joe Biden's team was because why not? I'm interested in having interesting people with interesting perspectives, people who made it to the top. And President Obama would be a great guest, too. So those are two people who I would love to have on. And so uh, I haven't heard back yet. So Rick, I don't know if you can help make the connection, but yeah, I don't know. Jim. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? That's how it works, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's how you do that. Um, and also just uh, your microphone volume, if there's a way that you can turn that up just a little bit um, after the reset there. Um, so some of you, we've talked about kind of your, your, your favorite topics, the prevailing themes, uh, one of your articles, what's one of the questions I'm missing from you right now? Is my volume better now? Um, yeah, go ahead and talk and we'll, we'll, we'll pick it up from there. Okay. Um, so can you hear me a little bit better now? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So can you, re can you repeat that question? Rick? What, what's a question I'm missing? What's in, in all of this, um, in, in trying to, to dive further into your podcast and your publications, what's a question I should be asking you right now that I haven't? Well, I, I don't want to... to go on to a topic that's too sensitive, but we could always talk college football. You mentioned that you're a Tennessee fan. I went to USC and we can always discuss Lane Kiffin and our, oh, yeah. yeah, that's, I don't know if that's a topic that we're allowed to discuss, but uh, we, we can tell you, this is my that, show. We can talk about there, anything. But Rick, there's going to be a lot of commonality if you and I talk about Lane Kiffin because he didn't do all too well in either of our programs. So. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, he, he, he left ours in the middle of the night in, in a campfire and didn't even tell if you've heard the story, he didn't even tell his uh, brother-in-law when he left. His yeah. brother-in-law found out that, that he left on the news. And he's like, so I guess I'm not on that plane. <laughs> Wait, and, and you know what happened to him at USC was kind of similar, except the opposite, which was that he got fired in the middle of the night by the athletic director. He was uh, sort of pulled off and did you remember that story? Oh yeah. So, but I, I think that dovetails nicely because if, if really we weren't as excited about Lane as we were about Monty. Sure. Right. And that became that, that, that package deal. But um, from a leadership perspective, here you've got a, a rising star who, and by the way, under, understandably, made. because Monty was a great defensive coordinator. He was the man with the bucks and talk about mentorship. I know that that was, what we opened up the show with and obviously the theme of my podcast, Monty was Pete Carroll's mentor. So it really does go full circle and it's a really good, valuable uh, lesson to listeners. Monty Kiffin 
for listeners who aren't aware, Monty Kiffin was the longtime defensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Pete Carroll was a protege of Monty Kiffin's. So when Pete Carroll took the job at USC, one of his first hires was Lane Kiffin as an assistant coach, as sort of a way of paying it forward to Monty Kiffin. And that's what started Lane Kiffin's coaching career. So it really just goes to show the value of relationships, the value of mentoring. And you look at Pete Carroll's coaching tree and not everyone's been the greatest, most successful head coach, but he's had a lot of coaches out there. He's, he's had, I would say, as productive a tree in terms of guys who have become head coaches as anyone. I mean, it's almost like the modern day Bill Walsh tree in terms of guys who have gotten head coaching jobs. And, but if you look at that, I, I, I think Lane's an interesting story. I mean, obviously we were saying that in jest to get going, but here, here's somebody who has the benefit of that mentorship and has early incredible success and we're so ready to raise his arm to, to say he's successful and he's, he's the second coming, he's the next person. Um, and then, you know, he, he gets programs like Tennessee and USC and arguably – I mean, Tennessee it was on the rebound, but arguably those are you know top 10 uh, coaching jobs in, in, in the nation in terms of, of support and fan base and everything else that comes with it. Um, and so they were so ready to, to grant him that access that, that he failed miserably. I mean, he just went to Ole Miss, right, coming out of FAU. Yeah. But, but, uh, but still, I, I think that, that success that you haven't earned, or that you, I don't think he had the sweat equity, to be honest with you. I can't argue. I can't argue that, Rick. I, I do think another lesson, perhaps uh, a more uplifting lesson, which I, I totally get where you're coming from, and, and I can't I truly can't argue that. Uh, but Lane has had a lot of second chances, more second chances than you can even call them second chances. And I think it's an important lesson for listeners that when you fail, and we were talking about this before the break. When you fail, life's not over. When you fail, you can get back up. And if anything, Lane has been failing up throughout his career. And there are uh, a lot of examples of, of other coaches and other people in life who have failed up. And um, my guest actually this upcoming week talks a lot about failing up, if anyone is interested in tuning into the podcast. And Lane is back in the SEC as a head coach. He was fired by USC, and what did he do? He didn't sulk. He got back up and took a job coaching at Alabama and did well there. He, he you know, by all measures, performed well as an assistant coach under Nick Saban. He went to a small school in Florida, did fairly well there, and now is back in the game. So if anyone is listening to this and I know we're kind of teasing a little bit, but if anyone is listening to this, there is a bit of an inspirational story in Lane Kiffin in that even if you had your dream job, which he had as the coach of USC, and it's taken away from you, life's not over. You can bounce back and still live a great life. I'm sure Lane Kiffin is happier and doing a lot better than many, many other people out there. There are a lot of people out there who would be really happy to be 
a head coach of a college football program at an SEC school. So no matter how hard you fail, just get back up. Uh, totally agree. Totally agree. I, you know, it, it, I think it's another dovetail and that's around corporate culture and in some people learn leadership through mentoring of other people, but fail to develop their authenticity of that um, and, and become that authentic leader of themselves. And I think that's what he had to learn when, when he came to Tennessee, he brought a lot of USC traditions, including like when you went in the field house, it, it was rolling, you know, tapes of like, Matt Leinert and Reggie Bush, and, and he would point up and say, those are champions. And, and quite frankly, as a proud program, they had their own champions and we had our own traditions that as a new coach, you need to learn to adopt and understand the culture of an organization and then change the culture to where you want it to be. You don't come in and, and tell them a culture is bad. And that was one of the things I took away as a leadership lesson and watching how he kind of came in. Um, and, and clearly just trying to replicate the success that he, that he felt under Pete and thinking that that was going to work. Rick, I think that's a great point. And I think that an adjacent point is the importance of listening, the importance of taking the time and having the humility to absorb the perspectives of those around you. I mentioned that I had General Dempsey on my podcast a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things that he said that was particularly interesting to me was when he was talking about his experience advising President Obama. And it, he was talking about, he said he had a lot of really interesting things in there. One of the things he said was that when he briefed President Obama, he, President Obama would say, don't tell me what's in the briefing books. I've already read the briefing books. Surprise me. Tell me something new. Give me something that's not already on paper. So I thought that was interesting. But what he also said is President Obama made it a point to listen and allow those around him to voice their perspectives, even when they were perspectives that President Obama was not going to agree with, was not going to go with, to build trust in General Dempsey's words. And, and I think that this is incredibly valuable for anyone listening. To build trust, you need to allow those around you to talk. You need to allow those around you to have their day, have their voices be heard. Even if you're not going to go with what they say, even if you're not going to take their advice and, and act on it, let them be heard and let them talk. And as a, and as a, as a great leader, you should listen. Doesn't necessarily mean that you should act on uh, their advice. You should follow your gut. You should follow what makes sense. You should follow ultimately the most sound judgment possible. But to get to that most sound judgment possible, it requires having great people around you and incorporating all data points, including the data points of your most trusted advisors. And going back to Lane, walking into a situation that you've never been in before, walking into a program that you've never worked at before, walking into a culture that you've never been a part of before, and failing to listen, failing to bring in 
the stakeholders who need to be brought in, who need to feel like they're a part of it, is setting yourself up for failure before you even get started. Yeah, at the end of the day, you've got to value people. And so I think that's that's an important leadership lesson for most people. So we're going to take our final break right here. We'll be right back with Adam for our final segment where we hit him with a question we ask all of our guests and we'll do some final wrap up. So come back for the last segment. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Voice America Business Network. Are you aware that 80% of project management executives do not know how their projects align with their company's business strategy? Are you aware that businesses identified capturing time and costs against projects as their biggest project management challenge? Are you aware that 44% of project managers use no software, even though PricewaterhouseCoopers found that the use of commercially available project management software increases performance and satisfaction? Now, imagine that you could have the ease of entry like a spreadsheet and a software tool set up and running within two to four weeks. Imagine within two weeks being able to see clearly where all of your resource conflicts are. Well, you don't have to imagine because PDWare has already created it. PDWare can give you real-time access to KPIs, easily updated views of what your teams are working on, and immediate feedback to some of project management's toughest questions, like, when can we start this project? What happens if we delay this project? Can we do this in time? How does this new project impact our current portfolio? Find us at pdware.com and imagine not manually compiling endless reports again. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the final segment of the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon, visiting with Adam Menler. And Adam, you, you've done so much. You've written, you've, you've uh, got this podcast. Can you tell people where to find the podcast and maybe some of your favorite articles as well? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Rick. I really appreciate that. And thanks again for having me. This was a lot of fun. I've enjoyed all the things we've been talking about. I try to make it really easy for anyone interested. So my podcast, 30-Minute Mentors, you could find at 
30minutementors.com. You could also find it on your favorite podcasting app. So whether it's iTunes or Spotify or Google Play or Stitcher. And to learn more about me, to find any of my articles, you can just go to my website, adammendler.com. And all of my content is on there. So Adam, the question that we ask every one of our guests is, uh, what's some of the best advice you've ever received? That's a great question. I, I love it. And I get great advice from my mom, actually. But not, why, do, why do I say actually? We all get great advice from our parents. But advice I got from my mom was, don't try to please other people. Don't try to please your parents. Don't try to please people around you. You have one person who you have to please, and that's yourself. And life is hard enough as it is. It's all that much harder when you're trying to live life for other people. So if you take that advice and take it to its natural extension, I think it's really important for anyone listening to follow your passion, to do what you love, and not to be inhibited by the expectations around you and just go with it go with your heart follow your passion so to to, to be fair and, and, and be well-rounded in our college football discussion we discussed <laughs> a lot about about lane and uh but there was somebody who followed lane in a lot of these things who's actually broken out on his own and you wrote an article about three lessons that that entrepreneurs can learn from coach ed ogeron you want to share any of those yeah, so Coach O is a great leader. And we, we spoke a little bit about Lane's journey and the ups and downs that, that he had. And Coach O is a beautiful illustration of a coach who was written off for dead and seemingly came out of nowhere to become the most successful coach in college football. When I was a college student, I went to USC my freshman year of college. All these guys were there. Pete Carroll was the head coach. It was his first year as the coach at USC. Lane Kiffin was the wide receiver coach. Coach O was the defensive line coach. Sark was there. He was actually the quarterback coach. The Kennedy Polo was there. It was an all-star lineup of characters on that coaching staff. And when you study Coach O's journey, it's a great illustration of the fact that no matter where you are, you can always make it to the top if you believe in yourself, if you persevere, and if you don't give up. And in the case of Coach O, it took some like he, he coached at Mississippi. He had to learn from that experience. It wasn't, um, we talked about uh, how, how in Lane Kiffin's first job, he didn't necessarily uh, walk in having, uh, having had the experience needed to succeed as a head coach. With Coach O, it was those early failures that positioned him to succeed as the coach at LSU. And as an entrepreneur, bringing it back, it's very hard to succeed right away if you haven't failed. It takes failing. It takes making mistakes to be able to learn the necessary lessons 
to ultimately succeed. And, and it's it, it's interesting because I have I have kind of the same story about Ed that I did as Lane. So um, I, I I'm still very involved with with the programs there at Tennessee and get get a lot of chances to see some of this inside stuff. And um, one of the big gripes from the players, and and I, I think above all else, you know, Ed's a players coach. A lot of people don't understand him, or some people don't like certain ways that he approaches you know media. But I love how he always you know. Um, you know, finishes with go tigers at very consistent at the end of, of every one of his interviews. But um, when he came to uh, Tennessee from USC, you know, he was known for like getting into the locker room and rattling up people and ripping his shirt off and doing that kind of stuff. But again, it lacked authenticity to our players. And, and so that was kind of a complaint of like what, and, and they're already under this cloud of why are you bring in all this USC stuff here? We're Tennessee and, and, you know, we've got our own traditions and I watched him learn from that. So he's adapted that as he goes. But I watched him feel that kind of that non-connection or that lack of authenticity and, and drive that into just being authentically who he is. And, and sure. I think that has a tremendous impact on your players and to your success. Right At the end of the day, you can't copy something else. You have to be authentic to you. Couldn't agree with you more, Rick, on the point that to be a great leader, you need to be comfortable in your own skin. The first step of the leadership journey is really understanding who you are as a person before you can effectively lead others you need to be able to lead your own life you need to understand your strengths you need to understand your weaknesses and it's very hard to be this is kind of goes back to the theme of a lot of what we were talking about as to why it's so hard to reach the mountaintop overnight why are people taking 20 years to become overnight successes? Because it takes time to learn these lessons. And you can read books, you can listen to podcasts, and you can understand things. But oftentimes, you have to go through a journey yourself to really internalize it. And Kocho is a great example of that. Well, Adam, we certainly appreciate you being a part of the show. Is there any final words you'd like to leave the audience with? Rick, just want to thank you again for having me on. To your listeners, thanks for taking the time to tune in. If anyone's interested in connecting, encourage you to tune into the podcast or to check out my site at adammendler.com. You could also find me on social media at adammendler on Instagram, at adammendler on Twitter. And wish everyone a great weekend. And thanks again. Thank you so much, Adam. We'd love to have you back on. I mean, I think you and I could just have a, a few college football episodes. I think that would be fantastic. <laughs> I would love it. And we could, if you, Rick, we didn't even get to other sports. If you want to talk baseball, basketball, all NFL, them. I'm all about it. All of them. I mean, I'm in it. And, and fortunately, with, with the, the COVID going on, I, I find myself watching, I think, Ultimate Tag was on. <laughs> Just whatever, whatever I can do to fill the gap. Uh, thank, thank goodness for documentaries like The Last Dance. The Last Dance, yeah, that was fantastic, fantastic. But I'm uh, with you. so next week we're gonna have Cheryl Peterman on. She talks about uh, how nutrition and stress and all of that really affects your well-being. So I think it's a fantastic show to have on. We're gonna have her on next Friday, and as always, we're gonna be here uh, for you for the work-life balance every Friday for. Uh, Central, 5 Eastern, 2 Pacific, right here on Voice America Business Network. Please stay tuned to the network for another fantastic show. And until next week, we hope that you live your own work-life balance. This has been Rick Morris.
Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.